Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, and that's page on 11, 1173, if you're using the Bibles in the pews. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Lord, please bless us as we meditate on these verses from Jeremiah, because they have so much information in them that helps us understand prophecy on the one hand and everyday life in this world. Lord, help me to make things clear, concise, compelling, true to Scripture, but with much practical application, so that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we may also eat your word in the Lord's Supper this day. For Jesus' sake, amen. This is actually part of the theme, Last Things, which deals with Bible prophecy. And it's a setup for returning to the book of Revelation sometime before 2023. I want us to focus on a couple of things this morning that are particularly uh, relevant. Next Lord's Day, since it's Mother's Day, we're going to look at the difference in divorce in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we'll do see one thing here very clearly. God permits divorce. That was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New. And we don't need to sit here feeling guilty if we've been divorced or married someone who's been divorced. God takes you right where you are. He never says, well, only if. He never deals that way with you. He takes you right where you are. So on May the 1st, God takes you right where you are. And the beautiful thing is this. When you take the Lord's Supper today, no matter what you've ever done in your whole entire life, if you confess your sins to God, He is faithful and just who will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because of the blood of Christ, there is no record of wrongs against us if we turn afresh to Him. That's an important truth. And we'll look next Lord's Day at the certificate of divorce in the Old Testament because it's very, very compelling as we think about Mother's Day, you're going to say. How in the world are you going to make that happen? Well, God already impressed me with how it's going to happen. Let's focus at verse 6. 
Jeremiah 3, 6, during the reign of King Josiah. Now that tells us a whole lot right there. Do you know that sometimes a, a simple phrase can tell us 50 pages of material? Don't worry. First thing we want to notice is that at this point, that means sometime after 640 B.C., that's when Josiah became king of Judah. What had happened before that is, in 722 B.C., God divorced Israel and sent her away. That's what the text says. Look at verse 8. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. God divorced Israel. That's the northern kingdom. Now there's, there's hope in that because for those who truly know God, we have the promise of Hebrews 13. I will never leave you or forsake you. So those who turned to the Lord, whether they were from the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel, or one of our ancestors uh, who, who killed children all the time and were murderous, vile people in Europe and other places, because before the gospel came, Europe and Britain were very dark places full of demons and demonic sacrifices and killing people and worshiping the dead spirits. So before the gospel came... Our ancestors were absolutely vile, wretched people. So it doesn't make any difference whether you are of Jewish descent, in the sense of being from the tribe of Judah, or Israeli, in the sense of being from the tribes of Israel to the north, or a descendant of pagan Celts, Anglo-Saxons, and other assortment of vile people. It makes no difference. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a great truth. Now the point is that Israel has been divorced. And Israel has been sent into exile. And they have been displaced with other people. Have you ever wondered who the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were the people who were taken from all over the Assyrian Empire and brought into the northern kingdom to live there alongside the remaining Israelites. So the Samaritans were people who had a mixed religion and a mixed ethnicity. And that's why the Jewish people to the south never had dealings with the Samaritans. So Assyria deported Israel in mass all over their empire and then brought in other people to occupy the land of Israel. So this is what's in the background here. Israel has been divorced by God, given a certificate of divorce, and sent away. But the trouble is, her sister, Judah, has not taken the warning from what happened to them. Have you ever thought about history? History is not given so that you'll be puffed up and think you're better than other people. My wife and I have been listening to an amazing book on tape or on our, our phone as we travel called The Imperial Cruise. It's the most eye-opening history book I have ever seen as I have a hard copy. And I'll just say this. When you look at the nations of the world, 
There is no one, no nation on earth that can be weighed in the scales of God's justice and not be found terribly wanting. There were no good old days. There have been always bad old days for somebody somewhere within every nation on the earth. So Judah to the south has seen what's happened to her sister Israel to the north, and they have not taken heed. And this is during the reign of King Josiah. Let's look at King Josiah for a moment. I had one of the elders print out this sheet for you because it's found in the Bible, but it's not found in your Bible. If you have the original King James Version, you'll find this prayer of Manasseh. And we're going to talk about it in a moment. So looking during the reign of King Josiah, his name is pronounced Yoshiaya. Yoshiaya. Because the Germanic J is pronounced with a Y. But we carried it over to J. So we call him Josiah. But his name is really Yoshiaya. And what it means is Yahweh will establish, Yahweh will give, Yahweh will build. Now, we have to have a little bit of background about this boy. Because he was six years old when his grandfather died. And when his father Ammon came to power and reigned just two years. Because Ammon was assassinated by the people of the land. So Josiah's daddy... Anyhow, his daddy Ammon was assassinated. Now, let's think about all this for a moment. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, and we're going to begin reading in verse, let's see here. What I want to take you back to is not to take you back to where I want to take you to. But anyhow, sorry. What you've got to realize is this. That his daddy, his granddaddy, was King Manasseh. So I've got to go there and my fingers aren't working well. And so if we look at Second Chronicles 33 verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Now, this is Josiah's grandpa, and there's hope for grandpas here. Who is this man? Will you remember who his daddy was? His daddy was King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the second godliest king of Judah. But Hezekiah got sick, and he said, Oh, Lord, please don't let me die. You know, I'm looking forward to dying. I love life. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. So is Sandy. But I'm looking forward to death, because death is the door that leads me into a better life than you can imagine, than I can imagine. But Manasseh's daddy, Hezekiah, didn't want to die. He begged God, please, please extend my life. And God extended his life 15 years. 
You know what happened in those 15 years? He begot a son who was the worst king in the history of Judah. You know, you need to be content with the years of our life sometime and say, Okay, Lord, if, you, if this is my time, if you want me to go home, take me home. But Hezekiah wouldn't do that. Oh, God, please don't let me die. Please, please, please. And God extended his life. During that time, I guess God really fixed him up. He produced a son whose name was Manasseh, who was the worst king in Judah. Now we read further. And we, we're just starting at verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. That means that his daddy begot him three years after he had been healed. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before Israel. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry host and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practicing sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Does God ever get mad? Oh, yes. God, God gets mad. God's anger is not exactly like yours. When I get mad, I might kick something and hurt my foot. When God gets mad, he hurts people. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? He hurts them so that he will bring them back to himself. There's a huge difference. God chastens those whom he loves. And so what we see here is this wicked king, Manasseh. Look how long he reigned. He reigned 55 years. 55 years he reigned in Jerusalem. And he did all these horrible things. But something happens. Let's read on down in chapter 33. So, we go over next page, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army of the commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose. Wow, that's got to hurt. Put a hook in his nose bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Why Babylon? Because Babylon and Nineveh are part of the same territory as preached a month or so ago. Now notice what we see in verse 32. This is so important. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by him, by his entreaty, and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. That is, he knew that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was the one true and living God. There are no other gods. At that point, this man is converted. Can you imagine it? Isn't this a hopeless case? Here is a 
apostate, filthy, vile king who reigned for 55 years and ignored God's word, killed his prophets, killed his own children in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. That's where we get the word Gehenna from, which is the Bible's use for the burning fire of hell. Ben-Hinnom, because he sacrificed his own children alive to the pagan gods. What a wicked, wicked, wicked man. But I want to tell you, there's nobody beyond the grace of God. Never give up praying for people. In this life, as long as you live, pray for people as long as they live. Once they're dead, your prayers do no good for them. But as long as they're alive, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. Maybe somebody was praying for this man. Maybe his daddy Hezekiah was praying to God and pleading to God because the dead do know things about life in this world. We don't know. But something broke his heart. Something caused him as all the pain, all the suffering, having that hook in his nose and being led, though he was a king. And so what he does, he goes back. And then afterwards, verse, 44, verse 14, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David. He did a lot of rebuilding. And then look at verse 15. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. He restored the altar of the Lord, sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it, and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is why when we get to Jeremiah, the people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now look at verse 18. The other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God, and, his, and the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel, notice B. I want to say is that the Bible as you have it, the English Bible does not have it. Our English Bibles contain only the books of the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament and the books of the New Testament. But there were other books that were written, and they were written in Greek often. And we have this prayer of Manasseh. And interestingly enough, the King James Version of 1611 contains this prayer. So I want us to look at it for a moment because I think that it is quite profound. Do I believe this is inspired scripture? No, I do not. But I do believe that the books that we sometimes call the Apocrypha or the Deuterocanonical books... Those books were written by the Jewish people to help the Jewish people understand their history from the end of the Hebrew Bible in Malachi uh, so that they would have an understanding of the things that had happened to them. So I want us to read this slowly out loud. And remember that not everything in here is totally accurate. When he talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not needing repentance... It simply means that he, unlike his ancestors, 
had become an apostate. So I'm going to read slowly, and if you join with me, it's a beautiful prayer of repentance. The prayer of Manasseh. O Lord Almighty, God of our ancestors, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and of their righteous offspring, you who made heaven and earth with all their order, who shackled the sea by the word of command, who confined the deep and sealed it with your terrible and glorious name, at whom all things shudder and tremble before your power, for your glorious splendor cannot be borne, and the wrath of your threat to sinners is undurable. Yet immeasurable and unsearchable is your promised mercy, for you are the Lord Most High, of great compassion, long-suffering, and very merciful. And you relent at human suffering. O Lord, according to your great goodness, you have promised repentance and forgiveness to those who have sinned against you. And in the multitude of your mercies, you have appointed repentance for sinners so that they may be saved. Therefore you, O Lord... God of the righteous have not appointed repentance for the righteous, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did not sin against you. And I made the comment, they certainly sinned. You read the life of Abraham, he was a great sinner. So was his son Isaac, so was his son Jacob. But they did not turn their back on the Lord God. And there's a huge difference in a person committing sins and a person knowing the truth and rejecting the truth and becoming an apostate. That's what King Manasseh means here in his prayer found in the King James Version. And so he says, But you have appointed repentance for me who am a sinner. That is, I'm an apostate. I turned my back on you and what I learned from my dad. And I've lived a filthy life. Verse 9, for the sins I've committed are more in number than the sand of the sea. My transgressions are multiplied, O Lord, they are multiplied. I'm not worthy to look up and see the height of heaven because of the multitude of my iniquities. Have you ever thought about that and the prayer of the, of the uh, tax collector in the temple? The prayer of the tax collector in the temple reflects the prayer of Manasseh. Verse 10, I'm weighted down with many an iron fetter so that I am rejected because of my sins and I have no relief for I have provoked your wrath and done what is evil in your sight, setting up abominations and multiplying offenses. Notice that he's weighted down in verse 10 with many an iron fetter. Now, look at verse 11. I love that. I want you to bend your knees this morning. The way he did. Verse 11. And now I bend the knee of my heart, imploring you for your kindness. I've sinned, O Lord, I've sinned. And I acknowledge my transgressions. I earnestly implore you, forgive me, O Lord, forgive me. Do not destroy me with my transgressions. Do not be angry with me forever or store up evil for me. Do not condemn me to the depths of the earth. For you, O Lord, are the God of those who repent. 
and in me you will manifest your goodness. For, unworthy as I am, you will save me according to your great mercy. And I will praise you continually all the days of my life. For all the hosts of heaven sings your praise, and yours is the glory forever. Amen. I'm almost done. We're in Jeremiah 3. We're looking at the name Josiah. And I want you to just think about it with me for a moment. The name Josiah. Yahweh builds up. Yahweh establishes. Yahweh restores. Think about it. You know, Josiah's daddy remained an apostate and went to hell. Josiah's daddy, Ammon, remained an apostate and went to hell. He was assassinated. You know that can happen anywhere, anytime. Do you realize last night Sandy and I walked and we were walking in the mall and we came across a man who wondered how we got in there. (laughs) And we began to chat with him. He was a guard. And uh, he said, well, let me show you the way out. I showed him my ID as a deputy sheriff in Louisiana. And uh, he led us a way out. And we began to chat. And he said, I asked, I said, well, may we pray for you? I said, I said, we pray for people. I'm a pastor. I told him I was the pastor here at Trinity Presbyterian on Robeson Road. And he told me that he's a pastor. He's bivocational. Bivocational pastors are great, great, great pastors. His name, his first name was John. I won't say his last name uh, because I don't have his permission, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I'll go ahead and say it. Anderson. And he's a pastor. And we prayed for him, said, you know, Brother Anderson, you have a dangerous job. And he said, I, he knew he did. Because, you know, people sneak into malls these days and they carry firearms. And you know that the town where I live near has the highest per capita murder rate of any city of its size in the United States? Wow! So this man has a dangerous job. And you never know what's going to happen. A neighbor of our son Ben in Baton Rouge was taking her daughter to the doctor when suddenly a man shot another man and then came out of their car and started shooting bullets at her. And severely wounded the woman and partially wounded the daughter. And that story my son sent because it ended up on the news. You live in life and life's uncertain. Here on the first day of May, will you be alive to celebrate Wanda's birthday tomorrow? I don't know. I don't know whether I will be. Will I make it home? Will some maniac be on I-49 suddenly infuriated over some nonsense somewhere and take a deer rifle and shoot it at our car and kill us both? I don't know. I do know. If that happens, we'll fly away. Oh, glory. But here's what I want you to see. This is so critical. This old man, Manasseh, Manasseh, who was an old man, because he was over 60. And I'll be 75, May 16th. This old man returns to Jerusalem. And his son Ammon obviously has been ruling in his place. 
But he decides he's going to put his repentance before God into action. He starts cleaning things up. And then he learns that Ammon has produced a boy. And I will guarantee you that his granddaddy, Manasseh, said, we're going to name that boy Yahweh restores, Yahweh rebuilds, Yahweh will bring this success. So I want to leave you with this thought. As I look over my life, I see many failures as a father, as a grandfather, as a husband, as a pastor. But what I want you to know is this. It is never, ever too late to pray. Never, ever too late to pray. And what I want you to see is that this wicked old man, this wicked old man who had been part of sacrificing his own children in the fires to pagan gods, this wicked old man that repented of his sins in Babylon and is permitted to return to Jerusalem, put his money where his mouth was, and he became a powerful intercessor. I want you to know on May the 1st, it's not too late for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to come to know the Lord. And I want you to see how this granddaddy names his grandson, the Lord will rebuild. The Lord will restore. The Lord will give. And I want you to, to get on your knees before God today. Bow the knees of your heart if your knees don't allow you to do it. At least do what Manasseh did. Bow the knees of your heart and plead with God for your descendants to know the Lord. Because that's the greatest legacy you can give your descendants is that they would know the Lord. That's what Manasseh does. He prays and he establishes his repentant faith in the city. And if you look at the life of Josiah, who was eight years old when his daddy was assassinated, you see that he was the greatest king over Judah of all the kings of Judah. He was greater than King David. He was certainly greater than King Solomon. He was greater than his great-great-grandfather Hezekiah. He was the greatest king Judah ever knew. And it's because his granddaddy prayed for him. Will you pray for your grandchildren? And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let's remember that this is called a sacrament. That is, it is a visible sign of an inward grace. And it reminds me of another sacrament, baptism. In baptism, we give our children to God. We dedicate them to the Lord. What happens in baptism? I don't know. But I do know that when they're sealed with water, God's Spirit will eventually seal all of his own. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God may call to himself. So these sacraments, they are promises of God. They're visible words of God. They tell us something. This bread tells us that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that through repentance and faith we are joined with Him who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this wine points us to what? To the blood of the Lord Jesus that washes away all our sins. But we conclude with this. 
Never give up. Never quit. Always intercede until you see in this life all of your seed confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. May we pray. Lord, we pray as we have heard your word, you would work a work of grace in us to renew within us a commitment to pray and to pray with faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we gather here to take the Lord's Supper together, we pray for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who alone can set apart these physical things and use them for a special purpose so that we seated in heavenly places in Christ may truly have communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen.